Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt. His name typically is Chase, but he is too busy chasing big white. I'm kidding. He's not too busy chasing white tails. He's too busy working. Chase and I schedule the theme this fall has been chaos. It's been unreal, and we just have not been able to link up. And t- this week is just another example of that. So, uh, welcome to the show, guys. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. I mean, I'm thrilled to have you here. We've been growing each and every month, with, and it's because you guys keep sharing the, the word of Chasing Tales, what we're trying to do here, which is to seek to inspire you to do more, to go harder, to try something you haven't done before. We just want to help you get outside, and, and when you're in the car or you're mowing the grass and you can't be out there, we want to bring the outside to you so that you feel energized and ready to go back out into the woods. And so this week is a guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. Jake Bush is back for a repeat. I think this might be his third or fourth. I think it's his fourth. Uh, fourth trip out here, uh, or to, on the podcast, I should say, not out here. And uh, it has been an absolute blast to have him on the show. Jake is a absolute delight to talk to because he's a hardworking guy who does it for all the right reasons with the modesty that you'd come to expect. Um, but the guy gets it done in areas that are not very easy to do. And so we want to highlight that, and, and his story comes with a lot of passion and emotion. I'm not going to spoil that. You guys have to listen to the show to actually hear about that. But we wanted to bring you that story. I know we have a lot of Midwest guys, and we've got a lot of like Northeastern guys and guys who don't live in the Deep South, and we focus a lot on the Deep South. And so this one goes out to you guys because this is a Ohio buck, an enormous, I'm talking 11-inch base whitetail. Things are an absolute monster. And so we break down this hunt. We talk about the stuff that was important to the hunt, the strategy that went into the hunt. And we finally concluded it with Jake agreeing to come back on the show, right? 
kind of crazy, and he is going to break down his gear. And I think what we're going to do is for this spring, this is something that I've been telling you guys has been coming, video podcasts. This spring, he's going to be one of the guys who comes on, and we're going to break down how he makes his equipment efficient and efficient from the standpoint of silence, of being able to quickly do what you need to and comfortably do what you needed to because he's kind of got a unique take on things. So we're going to have fun doing that. But uh, before we get to that show, we got to thank the guys who make this possible. First and foremost, that is our Patreon subscribers. Now, if you don't know what Patreon is, Patreon is a crowdfunding source that allows us to raise a reliable, unrestricted source of income. You may have seen the drama with YouTube who was de- uh, demonetizing channels because they were hunting and maybe uh, the guy didn't agree with them. And, it, and at a whim, people lost their income. And Patreon gives us that firm foundation that allows us to invest in travel costs, into equipment, into hosting fees. Um, and we put all that money right back into the podcast. We have a good time doing it. So uh, patreon.com forward slash chasing tales outdoor. The link is in the show notes. We have got a digital deer camp, which is an excellent way to meet with local hunters or distant hunters to encourage each other to, to share wisdom. We've got bow technicians. We've got expert deer trackers. We've got all kinds of guys who contribute to that group. And it's an amazing, source of information and camaraderie. It's a highly vetted group of individuals who contribute nothing but positivity and energy and good vibes. And we all know how social media can kind of be a bit of a log jam uh, of different personalities. That group is full of awesome people sharing awesome information. We also would be remiss if we didn't mention Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is at the nexus of artificial intelligence and deer hunting. They take millions of data points of actual GPS collared deer, build trend analysis, overlay weather, moon phase, deer pressure, all or hunter pressure, all kinds of different factors to give you predictive tools to allow you to make good decisions. It's not going to tell you exactly where. It's not a guaranteed thing. But what it does is it's one more tool for you to when you're basing your time off or when you're trying to decide when and where you're going to go somewhere. It gives you a tool to help narrow that down. And they've got a mapping software that they're working through very quickly uh, to, to roll out for you guys. In fact, it's in beta right now. And pretty soon, in fact, in the next few weeks, you're going to hear from Bill talk about everything to come in that app. So Check it out, SpartanForge.com. If you use the promo code ChasingTales, T-A-L-E-S, all caps, all lowercase, you can lock in for life $20 a month. $20, guys. The mapping and the artificial intelligence for life. Incredible value. Bill is a fantastic guy. Cannot wait to bring him back on the show. You guys are going to love him. So we also couldn't forget to mention Scree Gear. Scree Gear makes some of the highest quality fabrics from merino wool, synthetic bottoms, puffy jackets. They've got a new zip-up puffy pant that just came out, and I can't remember the name of it, and I'm unprepared. I'm sorry, guys, but it is absolutely phenomenal. I knew that's been coming down the pipe uh, for quite some time. Go check them out, ScreeGear.com. Use the promo code ChasingTales10 to get a discount on your next regular priced item. Uh, I think with that, guys, we're going to let you get to the show because I would just ramble forever. I haven't been able to get out in the deer woods quite as much as I'd like to, so i got a lot of thoughts. So I'm going to cut myself off here at the tap. Enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this. We have got a repeat offender. I think that's going to be what we call the re- the repeat contributors to the show, guys who come back time and time again and endure my, my constant questioning and my my uh, over-enthusiastic sense of, of, of how I'm going to be able to take the, the hard-earned skills that they have and somehow 
uh, successfully apply them. And tonight is no exception. In fact, I think uh, a guy who's very quickly becoming a legend, I've said that over and over again, and I think you guys need to pay attention because this guy is putting in the hard work and he's reaping the benefits, and he did so in dramatic fashion uh, already this year. We're talking to the legendary Jake Bush. I'm speaking that into being, dude. You're a legend at this point. You got to be. Uh, you know what? I I don't necessarily know about that, but I appreciate <laughs> you having me on here, man. Uh, it's good to be back. It's good to talk hunting with you again. You know, there are guys. You know, we have guys on all the time. We have a good we have a good dialogue, and uh, there's awesome exchange of information. Uh, but then there are guys that you just kind of feel like if you, if you met at a bar you would have kind of like gravitated to that person for some reason and so suddenly started talking, find yourself talking about deer hunting. I kind of feel like you're that guy. I kind of feel like if you and I found ourselves at like B-dubs, you know, suddenly we'd be eating like a massive pile of wings and, and, and swapping hunting stories. Of course, you'd be doing all the swapping and I'd be talking about, you know, <laughs> all the near misses, but. <laughs> oh yeah, all the, all the water mocks and stuff down there freaking <laughs> right. me out. <laughs> oh man, no, it's, uh it's great to have you back on, dude. Uh, I, I kind of feel bad whenever you have the success you do. I, I'm sure your phone's getting blown up and people are begging you to come on the show. And I just want to say thanks for, for coming back on and sharing with everybody because you're one of those guys that you kind of call your shots. You, you've put in the time, and, and I don't mean that in like a prideful way, but in fact, you do call your shots. You know where you're going. The type of hunting that you do requires that you are like really in tune with the animals that you go after. And I think that is a very uh, difficult thing to master. And it's something that you're doing with a, with a high degree of success over and over again. So um, I've kind of been thinking about where to start with this. Um, And I think there's no better way of starting this than maybe if you can indulge me and go back to the summer when you located this deer, because that's a huge part of what you do. You're running your trail cameras and getting that historical data. Did you have a a big experience with the deer we're going to talk about? Uh, I, I really didn't, I, I had a, I had a good area that had a couple good bucks in it, but this was kind of a nomad of a buck and I'm going to go way back. I'm going to circle back Do real it. quick because, um, the one thing I just want to bring up, you know, I, I, I want to get this out there is, you know, a lot of guys probably watched my Instagram story of like the real time, how I, you know, called this shot on this deer. Well, you know, I do that every single time I go in the woods and like that's that's my mentality you guys got to see like inside my head of what goes on in that hunt that only actually works about five percent of the time (laughs) but but i'll tell you what the 95 percent of the times that it doesn't work i go in there with that exact same thing in my head so i'm like this deer's better deer like he's dead i'm killing him like you know what i mean and then when it doesn't happen i'm like well i guess that didn't work but uh (laughs) But yeah, just to just to get that out there because I've heard a couple guys say that now about calling your shots. It's like I call every shot, but only five percent actually go in. So, you know, that's disclaimer, I guess. But um, but yeah, so it was an area that we actually talked about it on the podcast uh, a couple months ago. It was a new area for me, and I actually reached out to you and was like, "Hey, you know, this is a very." like to me it reminds me of something that you would hunt down in florida it's monotonous terrain it's all thick it all has good bedding it's got a ton of good food in there like what do you think are the best things that i can do to kind of break down this piece and you know we discussed that a little bit so what i did is i really just dove into this piece this year brand new section of public and uh what i normally do is i'll like quadrant off 
an area based on like it's leeward, it's got a hub, it's got all these, you know, factors I'm looking for. Well, with this spot, it was a little bit different. I dove into it. And I said, you know what, I'm going to scout the entire area. I, you know, I'm going to basically just like grid search this whole area throughout, throughout shed season and find a lot of amp, a lot of antlers, hopefully. But on the flip side of that, learn a lot of information that I've never even really looked for before about you know the non-leeward side the windward side of these ridges or uh different style of hubs or different ridge points that i've never really looked at or like the watering hole thing or just a ton of different uh aspects of it and what i really started learning was that i'm kind of like the the leeward thing works the hubs on the leeward side work good the bedding is basically the same as it's been everywhere else i've hunted but the thing that helped me with this hunt is I I spent a lot of time on some of the windward ridges as well. And uh, I started correlating like different bedding for like, let's say a north wind or an east wind. Or say I have a north wind and then it switches to a south wind. What are the deer doing during that shift at certain parts in the day? So I was gaining a bunch of really good information just in this place over really just, you know, overextending my boots on the ground this year, which helped me a lot. Um I ended up getting this buck on camera one time in, I want to say it was June, but don't, it, it was either June or July. I had him on camera one time and, you know, early velvet pictures. We might even talked about it. I was like, you know, I got this buck with like these massive G2s. He's got seven or eight points on his left side. Well, little did I know that this was the deer I was going to end up killing, but he, he blew up pretty good. You know, he blew up into little bit over 170 inch buck um and i i only had like sparse pictures of him throughout the year and the problem with this piece is it's there's a lot of ag within like you know let's say a mile or a mile and a half of this piece so in the summertime all the deer are out in standing corn so they're not even coming back to the public a whole lot you know they'll like they'll basically come through every once in a while so I had a couple bucks in the area that were there all the time, but this deer was one of those nomadic ones where I had him on camera once in June. I had him on camera. It was a really blurry picture, like once in August. And then uh, I actually didn't locate him before season until my last trail camera poll, which was, I want to say, about a week before season. Um, you know, I pulled all my cameras. I got to my last camera set up this spot which i figured would be my best spot and i pulled the scrape cam and he was on there a couple times so that's kind of what tipped me off to where he was at and uh i felt like i had a really good chance on him, man and then next thing i know you know i got some bad bad news about my dad so i had to go up to new york and spend uh about a week with my family and that was a pretty rough situation but uh you know i i really didn't even think about him and then i came back to ohio and i was sitting here thinking i was like well you know, he, he could still be there. You know, he, he might still be in that area. They shift a lot within the first like week or two weeks of season. Normally, like my time to strike is like, you know, ideally for me, it's opening day or within two, three, four days of the opener is when I really catch these bucks being patternable. Like they were before, you know, like all the ag comes down or before acorn shift too much or before too much pressure gets in there. Like, I feel like that's my best shot. And this year was a little bit different. You know, I got pushed back like a week and a half into season before I actually finally got the hunt. And uh, just so happened that it worked out, you know, worked out the right way this time. 
For sure, dude. Yeah, and I remember us talking about that that deer. Um, I didn't know that that was the area that you and I talked about. I don't. Did I provide any decent information? <laughs> oh, a ton. Yeah, there was there was there was a lot of information there, and uh, we went through. You know, we talked about how you how you would think they would kind of traverse the area, and um, like betting on. I remember we talked about how you said that it would be like very food based, which it is. You know, they shift their betting a lot in there based on what the hottest food sources at the time that really helped me out a lot, man. And it, uh, like, you know, I had really good betting all summer on for a Southwest wind. It would have been on like a Northeast face and they bet they were betting there a lot. Well, all of a sudden now that cornfield that was on that side got taken down, but the acorns started dropping on white Oak flats on the other side of the property. So all the deer shifted, you know, the, the second yeah, to last sure. cameras I pulled were dried up and I'm like, Oh, Oh man, like what, you know, what happened here? And I checked my cameras quarter mile away and bam, they're right back where they should be. And there was actually another buck I was going to target in there that that was the main one that shifted, but this one was with him. And that's when I decided like, okay, yeah, I got a totally different target. For anybody who's wondering, yes, I paid Jake to say that answer. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. So uh, going into this hunt, it's it's one of those things. It sounds like you, you kind of you, – you did the Jake thing, which is you, you identified a lot of areas, and you kind of let the climate – and this is something I really struggle to do. You let the climate – and the weather patterns tell you where to go. You didn't force anything. So w- what kind of weather conditions did you need going into this hunt in order to make it happen? So there's a couple different ways that I could target this deer based on the wind. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the real-time intel for every hunt is very important to me. So I'm looking at what are the ag fields doing around? Are they getting cut that day? Are they still standing? Did they get taken down a couple days before? Uh, as far as acorns go, what's going to be the hottest acorn at the time? Like, is it a white oak flat here? Is it a white oak flat there? Is it red oaks here? Because the white oaks dried up all those different factors. Um, the wind is huge as far as that goes, because like I was talking about earlier, like it's wind-based bedding, but it's wind-based bedding based around a specific food source. So if this white oak flat on this side of the property is hot, and my buck is, if I think my buck's in there, well, I think he's going to be bedded in one of these four beds for this wind direction. And if it's a totally opposite wind direction, but that food source is still hot, he could be bedded up on that hillside, but I know he won't be in these beds. So I can kind of access around there, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, all those factors were, were major plays in this. The only thing I really didn't have going for me was it was like day four of the same weather system. So it was, you know, like, probably mid 80 degrees and just kind of stagnant. It was like partly cloudy that day. There was nothing like front wise going on. It was the only thing I had in my favor was the wind direction. I needed to access the specific Oak flat without being detected. Basically. How, how do you go about, is, is this one of these things where you have like a, a you put on a, a false sense of confidence that you know, that deer's in that, in that one particular bed and you're, and you're going in, I guess my, the way, the reason why I asked that question is I, I could see somebody who's listening to this podcast, trying to apply what they're doing and, and not getting the result, obviously, cause it's hunting and there's a lot of variables to it, but like, how 
do you speak to the person who's trying to apply what you're doing and then not get discouraged because they call their shot and it doesn't pan out? I know that sounds really simple and silly, but like, what would you say to them? You know, people who are trying to apply your tactics. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it's simple or silly at all. I think that the mental aspect of hunting mature whitetails, especially pressured whitetails is the the biggest aspect of it. Honestly. I mean, you, you're going to get beat down. Um, you're going to have, you know, your highs, you're going to have your lows, you're going to have years where you just have to grind. And the one thing that you need to really take care of is your mental well being and, and your mentality going into these hunts. Um, so for me, you know, it started out, uh, more of like a masked thing. Like I would mask this self-confidence on my way in. And over time, as you become more and more successful doing it, you, you do start to like truly believe in it a little bit more. And, uh, you know, it's almost like the spidey sense thing, you know, like I get, I get like spidey senses about certain things when I'm going in there now. And the other thing too, is, you know, like I'm, I'm 100% confident in those sits that day. And like I said, normally it doesn't work out, but when you go in there like that, like to me, if I'm not that confident, if I don't have the food source dialed, or at least a couple food sources dialed, if I don't have the bedding dialed, if I don't have the wind direction and hot sign, all of that in there. Like if I don't have that dialed and think I can go in and find it, I, I won't even go in there. You know, I have backup plans and we've talked about that before in some podcasts about making sure that your your all your eggs aren't in one basket really helps with this style of hunting. If you're if your eggs are all in one basket, maybe this isn't the style that you need to approach it with. But if you have backup plans, it's a really good way to approach it because you you will be able to find something that will give you that confidence to go in on that day so and you know i'm waiting for these factors right like you were kind of talking about that earlier i'm I'm waiting for the you know temperature it doesn't matter to me at all to be completely honest with you i don't care about the temp outside whatsoever but i'm waiting for like a some sort of front maybe or i'm waiting for like weather wise like a rain rain to stop or i'm waiting for my specific wind direction. I'm waiting for a specific food source to open up around the time I know it should be. I'm, I'm trying to get these factors in my, like in play as good as possible before I even make the decision to go in there. And if I get all the things I need built up, like if I have like, say I have a checklist of, you know, I want 10 things for this spot, October 2nd, I get all 10 things. I'm going in confident as hell that I'm going to go kill that deer. That makes sense. No, that makes total sense. And, and, I, it kind of makes sense that you kind of have to put on like a fate, uh, like a almost a false sense of confidence, a hubris almost, right? Like you got to call your shots and, and eventually when they start landing, you really need to dissect. I think maybe even the ones that don't go well, right? Like really dissect those such that you can figure out what went wrong. Um, but I think that having that false sense of confidence, as long as you keep it in check, kind of helps get up and go because the, the, the inverse to that is kind of self-doubt, right? And self-doubt is going to lead to, not going. <laughs> yeah, it's going to lead to mis- and a lot of mistakes or or just carelessness. At least on my on my end, you know, I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but for me, if I don't go in with that mindset, like I just I I'm lazy, man. Like I find myself like I won't stalk as quietly as I should, or I won't you know be I won't care about wind direction for access as much, or I won't like look out in front of me 30 or 40 yards with binoculars while I'm accessing. 
looking for hot sign as opposed to just blowing through the area because, oh, I want to get to this tree tonight. Like that, that's not going to do it. You know, maybe it does sometimes, but consistently that's not going to have a lot of success for you. So yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing for me is it just putting on that face allows me to just hunt harder and hunt smarter, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So along the idea of hunting smarter, one of the things, uh, because you, you, you did that Insta story, which by the way, totally like if, if I have any ability to request things from you in the media format, watching that story unfold, uh, was awesome because last year we did a podcast with a fellow on noise, how far noise travels in the woods and how far a deer can hear it. You were so stinking methodical on your way up. Was that, were you being dramatic with that or did you really like move that slow and take that much time to approach the area? I mean, maybe even break that down for people because it was very uh, intriguing. Yeah, no, that's that's how I approach every hunt. So uh, this hunt total, it was like just under two and a half miles to get in there access-wise. So the first mile and a half or mile and three quarters, I mean, I'm, I'm walking like normal. You know, I'm the story didn't portray a lot of that because I'm getting back there. Like I, I had to get back there. But when I start getting close, when I'm within, let's say, even like 400 yards to 600 yards of where I know the deer are going to be at, or if there's other deer in that area that I know of, like other bats, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll start like stalking and I'll start checking the wind a lot and I'll start looking for sign. You know, I'm looking for like, man, is, you know, is this Oak flat the one that's hot now? Maybe the one I was thinking about targeting has dried up and all the deer have moved this way. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm doing everything I can, everything in my power to not be heard, not be seen, not be smelled on the way in. And I take it to like the extremes, you know, I'm waiting for the perfect wind to access that spot. I'll go as far as, you know, with this hunt at two o'clock, I had a really good wind to get to a certain point, but if the wind stayed at Northeast, I would have had uh, trouble with my wind dropping off one of those faces and then climbing up the steeper Ridge to where he was bedded. So if I would have had a Northeast all day, I couldn't have targeted that deer, but I had a Northeast on the beginning of my access. And I knew by the time I got, you know, close to him, it switched to an East. It was forecasted that way. So I'm, I'm walking in waiting for that switch. You know, I'm taking my time. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting all of a sudden, bam, I got the switch I need. So now I can continue forward where if I don't get that switch, you know, it's only a 45 degree wind switch, but if I don't get that, I'm not even going into that spot. I'll wait for my moment. You know, I'll wait for the the moment to go in there and kill that deer because I know I'll blow them out. And, you know, I'm like my access there. I accessed, I walked right through that buck's bed on a west wind. I walked directly through it. But, but me having confidence in my, in the theories that I based my hunting around, I kept telling myself, you know what? I know he's not in that bed because he wouldn't put himself at that disadvantage. You know, uh, a five, six-year-old buck on public isn't going to do that. He's not going to put himself there. Well, sure enough, I get to that spot and I bump a little buck right out. I'm assuming a little buck. I bump a buck right out of his bed. And, you know, and a lot of guys probably would have been like, man, I just bumped that buck out of there. Well, no, that's not the buck I want. Like, he wouldn't do that. And, you know, maybe he would. But in my head, I'm telling myself he would not have done that. And so I continued on that path and... You know, like I would get to a certain spot and listen for acorns to drop, listen for the squirrels, listen for any sort of activity. I'm looking for sign. 
it's it's very methodical my I don't hunt mornings and a lot of guys kind of give me flack for not hunting mornings. But the reason I don't hunt mornings is I like to start my approach to my afternoon hunt ideally at about 11 a.m. This time it was 2 p.m., which is way late for me. But I like taking my time to get in there. I like having everything perfect. You know, there's times when I'm set up within 30 yards of a bedded buck and it takes me three hours to hang my stand on the back side of the tree. Like Holy it's smokes. I, I know how that sounds. I know that that sounds like I'm being ridiculous or maybe a little dramatic. Um, when I killed my 186 down here, what, three years, two or three years ago now, uh, it took me, I mean, hours to hang my tree stand. I would literally hang on the tree with a lineman rope and wait for a squirrel or a wind gust to hang a stick. Like I'm, you know, I'm going to the extremes to make sure that I don't ruin this because I, I truly believe like if you do everything right, if you hunt as hard as you can on the way in, you're going to have your opportunity. And it, it normally works out pretty good for me, man, especially those first couple sits of the year. Dude, that is an ungodly amount of dedication to a philosophy. Like the idea that it would take that long to, I mean, for, okay, so first thought like I have here is, our winds here swirl so stinking much. I don't. I feel like I'd have to adapt what you're talking about in order to even make it happen. Just oh, because yeah. if you told me I went in at 11, I'd be like, dude, I'm going to have four different winds by the time <laughs> it's the end of shooting light, right? So I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I, do Do you think in cases like that, I'm just thinking out loud as this thought evolves, maybe like using high wind days to your advantage? Yeah, high wind days are always going to be great for uh, any sort of really if it's like a specific velocity too, you know, you have like a prevailing Southeast that's 15 miles an hour for that day. Like you're, you know, you're going to have pretty good pull away from that deer's nose, but you, but using little things too, you know, like you can use, uh, say that he's, you know, you, you know, he's bedded up against a Creek and you can use that Creek as like kind of a thermal deterrent, whether it's heating or cooling, you know, hotter than the air or not, it'll either blow your scent way up or suck it right down to the Creek. Um, down there, you guys probably don't have a ton of this. I'm not sure specifically, but like here we can always use thermals. I can always cheat the wind with thermals on my access. You know, I know if I stay up high in a lot of these spots, like I like to access low, but like on this hunt, for example, I knew I had to stay high in this spot because my thermals would pull and then blow out of that ridge system. So it's just like, it's almost being creative. Like how creative can you be with some of these things? And, you know, sometimes it gets a little crazy. Sometimes it doesn't work, but a lot of times your theories are right and you just find a way to make it work more than anything else. And if it doesn't work, well, now, you know, like, Hey, next time that I'm going to try something a little bit different to try to get in there. That's crazy, man. That like, <laughs> that is unreal. I like, I, you know, I thought for a second I might be on your level, but now I realize just how far I have to go, sir. I mean, that is that's a, that's a lot of hang time from the, from the tree. So do do you feel like you how how much like actual hunting time do you get in a situation like this? Are you hunting for like the last hour and a half to two hours? Is that what you're banking on him moving during? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Normally I'm the majority. So I don't know what I'm at now. I would say probably I want to say it's like eight out of eleven or seven out of ten or maybe eight out of ten seasons. I've killed in like the first week of season week and a half maybe something like that it's been been a pretty good streak but it's always been like i would say you know 90 percent of the time it's like the last 
half hour of, of daylight. It's really pushing it. That the big one I killed two years ago was kind of a freak. He came out way early. Um, even this one, this one was a little bit earlier, I guess. But yeah, I'm only, I'm really only targeting like the last hour of the day, or hour and a half of the day. I'm all of this hunt, the whole hunt, everything I do for the way in there is just for that last like hour, hour and a half. That's all I really care about. That makes sense. It kind of has to be for sure. Okay, so I, I've derailed this conversation with a whole pile of tactics questions. I'm sorry, but I, no, I'm I so I'm so, <laughs> I know you do, and I think that's why I indulge myself so much is because you 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 love sharing that that knowledge. So uh, let, let's kind of tie back into the story. So you've got the right situation. You know you've got the right wind to m- basically make a J hook on this deer. It sounds like um, you, you're you're making this approach. Did it go swimmingly the whole time? Did you did you make any mistakes? So I, I really, mistake-wise, no. The, the only mistakes that I had were setting up my stand this year. Um, but on the way in, you know, I, I bumped that deer. That, was, that wasn't really a mistake because I knew that there's a good chance a satellite deer would be in that bed. You know, some of the younger bucks or even doe groups will shift through these areas. And if a buck's bedded on the other ridge, like the big buck, they'll, they'll kind of just use some of these beds. Like, they're still good beds for them but it doesn't have the advantages that that big deer has come to know are safe for him. So I knew going in, I was like, there's a chance I bump a deer out of there. It, in my head, it will not be him. It's going to be another deer. Don't worry about it. Just when it starts running off, try not to blow it out of the mountainside, basically. You know what? Like try to just get it to run down. So the only reason I blew that deer away was because it heard me because my, I had a thermal advantage. I had a wind advantage. You know, I came in downwind of that bed so he couldn't smell me and he couldn't see me all he could do is hear me going through the briars so i heard him dump off the ridge and i was like okay you know the deer was right in that other bed like right where that big buck would be on the right day but today's not the right day and i did you know i i I j-hooked way around like you were talking i went like from the west way to the south and then i had to come way back up to the north uh, almost a quarter mile to come back up against those that bedding system. Um, but no, it went pretty smooth for the most part access-wise. Hanging my stand, obviously, the first set of the year is always kind of a cluster. You know, I'm, I, I actually brought everything this time, which is great. That doesn't normally happen, but uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's clunky. You know, and I've, you can, you can imagine, I'm kind of like paranoid about all my gear and I have to make sure everything's perfect and it, it can't make any noise at all, but there's always something that I miss. And you, you know, I'm, I'm clanking stuff a little bit. I'm trying to get up there as slow as I can. And it seems like every time I hang my setup, I still get a little bit frustrated with myself. Like I'm, there's something I could always do better. And I've never, I don't think I've ever got to the top of my setup and been like, man, that was smooth. Like, no, there's always something and these hanging hunts that kind of is like a factor, you know, you got a crooked tree, you have uh, weird bark, you have just something all the time. But uh, I got set up in my tree. And the one thing that, you know, we've probably talked about this before too, like generally I'll only see in these big wood settings, like if I see one deer, that was, that was a lot. Like I, I sat 22 times last year and I think I saw 12 deer total um before i killed but but this year you know i'm sitting there in the stand and i look over to my left and basically if you would lay your hand out on the table your fingers are like the ridges of this ridge system right but if you work all the way up to the where your finger meets the knuckle on your hand 
you know, they have like that little bowl basically and the deer funnel around each one of those bowls. And that's where the, the scrapes are at on these finger ridges. And then all the ridges are Oak flats, but which one's hot right now? You know, if I choose wrong out of one of the three, then that deer's not where I want them to be. And I'm not going to kill them. I could blow this whole hunt. So I, you know, basically sat on the ground before I set up and verified, okay, acorns are dropping on this flat. The squirrels are on, there's a dozen squirrels on the one flat I want to be on. It's still hot. So, um, you know, I set up, talked about that, but so I'm watching to my left up to the North and all of a sudden I see a flash of Brown. I'm like, Oh, here he comes. Well, it was three does. And these does filter down. The one hits the scrape and she works into like, man, I like four or five yards and I'm on the backside of this tree and just frozen solid. You know, I'm trying everything. I'm, I'm squinting my eyes. I'm not breathing. I'm like, I'm in the saddle. So I'm kind of off to the side and I'm getting cramps and I'm sure I'm shaking, but I know if I, if I did all this work and screw up this hunt because of a doe, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be bummed out. Um, so sure enough, she's eating acorns. She stretches her neck. She looks right up at me. I mean, directly at me, we make eye contact and she's got me, you know, she's stomping at me and she's looking at my bag and my bow. And I look like, you know, a grizzly bear in a tiny tree peeking around it, basically, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I always struggle with this part. When a doe gets you, you you have a couple options. You either freeze and just try to sit it out and not let anything go wrong, and maybe she'll just quit worrying about you. But more times than not, that never happens. So I try to, like, give them a flinch sometimes, and maybe that's the wrong thing to do, but it worked this time. So I looked at her, and she's looking at me, and I just kind of flinched at her. And she just <laughs> tore out of this ridge system, man. Just straight south, though. Perfect. Like, she went south. And uh, <laughs> so I just had to stand off with this doe. I'm all worked up. I'm sore. I'm cramped up. I'm full of briars. And uh, I get settled back in a little bit. And I look up in the same spot. And that buck had, when I was looking at the does, he got up out of his bed because I could see his bed from the stand. And he had started working his way down. Well, he got onto that oak flat, and I had him at when I first saw him at like forty yards. And I mean, I'm uh, did you you probably watched the video, right? Oh yeah, like, dude, <laughs> dude, he's he's coming in on a string yeah. fast, and you could hear my bow. So I draw back, and he looks up, and I stopped halfway, right at the peak of my draw cycle with that triax. Like my shoulders mm-hmm. about to tear out. And then if you if you watch, listen on the video, you can hear this like god-awful screech it's like well that's my arrow dragging across my rest the last five inches of my draw cycle after about 30 seconds of holding it um but he kept coming man came right down to that scrape he hit that scrape and took two more steps and i shot him at like 12 yards (laughs) that's awesome man (laughs) yeah it was it was a fun hunt man it was challenging it was uh you know, I go into these hunts, like one hunt for me, I'm, I'm so shot by the time it's over from the stalking and the, you know, I crawl, I, I do crazy stuff, man. <laughs> and by the time I get done, I'm so tired and whoop that it's like, Oh, <laughs> but, but yeah, it was well worth it, dude. It was a, it was an awesome hunt. So how far did he run after you got, after you shot him? So he ran about 30 yards and, uh, turned up the hill again. I don't know what it is about these Ohio bucks, but when you double lung them for some reason, they're like, I want to run up the nearest hill I can find. And they only ever make it like two or three steps and fall back down. So he ran about 30 yards, fell right back down. And I mean, I just absolutely lost my mind in the tree stand, watching him fall over backwards again. It was just, 
rush of emotions, man. You know, it was that hunt was dedicated to my dad. Um, and that, that one meant a lot to me. You know, he was, he never got to do the mobile hunt thing with me. And I always talked to him about it and he watched my videos and he was really supportive. That was actually the spot I was going to put him this rut on his rutcation this year, his first out of state hunt. And I was hooking him up. So I called it dad's buck, you know, that's dad's buck in the film. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a big one for me, man. Very, very special deer. Well, I, I want to tell you something. So I don't have a relationship with my dad anymore. And he and I were, our, th- our two things were uh, hunting and Georgia football. And so being able to see that, that connection that you had and, and bringing that experience, dude, that hit home in like the best of ways. And I, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing that experience with everybody because that really kind of hit home on that, on that relationship and what that was like and, and, and what that, what the outdoors can really do to connect us all, man. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. And, you know, that's why we all do these podcasts. That's why we post videos and that's why I have social media. You know, this, there's no uh, road to fame here. It's a, it's about meeting good people and making memories with them and just living a lifetime that you can look back on and just smile about, you know, that's what it's about for, for me and you and all the guys that are probably and girls that are listening to this podcast, that's what it's all about. But, uh, you know, the, the flip side of the content thing is, yeah, I, I edited that video and I'm sitting there watching it and, you know, the post shot reactions a lot, like it's definitely a lot. And I would, you always get kind of, you always wonder like, what are people going to think, you know, are they going to like it? Is it going to inspire them? Is it, but it's been really good feedback and that, that means a lot to me. You know, I've heard all good things and uh, a lot of people have said it kind of hit home with them. And to me, that's, that's what it's all about. You're really putting yourself out there sometimes, but I couldn't be more thankful for the community as a whole, honestly. I mean, there's so many good people that are doing this and that are part of this whole community. And I think, I think it's in a really good place right now. I hope it just continues to get better, but uh, I'm just thankful to be a part of it. Oh, for sure, man. And, and your, your films are one of those things that, uh, I, I really enjoy the amount of effort you put into it and, and the learning that you do, you know, something that strikes me is that I feel like we need to have a gear podcast. I, I know I might be wearing my welcome out with inviting you back to the podcast, but oh no, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the gear component of things is something that, um, I've swung back and forth on this multiple times where it's like, I don't put enough time into it. And then I micromanage maybe all the wrong details, right? Like maybe chasing weight when I should be chasing silence or, you know, chasing uh, a certain system that's supposed to fit in my way the right, you know, a certain way. But in reality, it's not practical. Um, I think gear is one of those things that you can, you, you don't have to have a very expensive setup, but I think the attention to detail that you put into it, it would be something that people would seriously benefit from. That, that might yeah. be a, a good video podcast. Yeah, I'm all for it. And you're right. You know, you don't, you don't need expensive gear. And that's the one thing that I want to make sure I always let people know and portray as good as possible. Is the, the quality of gear isn't necessarily the, or not necessarily the quality, but the, the expensiveness of gear doesn't really matter that much. It's what you make of it. So, you know, you're going to, you're going to, fine-tune your gear around your wants and your needs not what somebody else is doing you know like i get a lot of flack because if you look at my stand and my sticks 
the whole thing is stealth stripped. It is literally the entire thing is felt. And they're like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, if that gets wet, you have 97 extra pounds of water on your stand. I'm like, yeah, but I don't make noise. Like, I'll I'll carry the the weight in because I don't make noise. Or, uh, you know, like the little stick holsters I use to carry my sticks up the tree now. Because in the past, you I have them on like uh, paracord loops or I have them on like a, a rope in my mouth or I'm, you know, just getting crazy with stuff. It's just about fine tuning it for what works for you and your style. Um, you know, I use four sticks. I know a lot of guys that use two or that use one. Now that's a big thing. It's, there's a lot of styles out there. You have to do what works for you. What's efficient for you and what you're confident in. You know, it all comes back to that at the end of the day, if you go out there with a setup, even a, I don't care if it's a lawn chair, if you go out there with a lawn chair or a five gallon bucket and it creaks and you don't like that well you're not confident with your setup and that's going to affect you in some way shape or form i think you hit the 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 nail on the head one of the things we want to do is start doing um uh we want to start doing uh video podcasts periodically and i think this is one of those situations where i'm going to go back to the drawing board and i'm going to try and make my gear look presentable <laughs> and and, <laughs> and i think you and i need to get together uh this is a good off-season podcast right like january february march you're still waiting on the the great white north to, to thaw out right like this is i think that's a great podcast topic for then um but but i want to ask you a question my dude uh you know, you, you said you didn't make any mistakes, but everything is a learning experience. And so what I want to know from you is looking back on this very clear picture, what could you still have done better? Or what did you take away from that that maybe you hadn't uh, felt in your heart was ironclad up until that point? So, you know, access on this one was pretty good. Um, wind felt right. The... The, I guess the if I was going to really f- like pick it over with a fine-tooth comb, I set myself up for a quartering two shot. Like I knew that I was going to have a quartering two shot. Now I'm running Vector Custom Shop 580 grain arrows, I think. I'm not an arrow guy, but they build them for me, so they, they take care of all the fancy stuff. Uh, you know, good sharp iron wheel broadheads. Like I, I know I can pull that shot off, but maybe, maybe the the – shot could have been different you know if i would have hit like that knuckle on the shoulder which if you watch the video i wasn't far away like i waited for his right foot to come forward but that could have been a very important learning lesson right there and i'm you know i might have really messed up on that deer so i would say maybe finding a way to set up a little differently to have a better shot angle you know like i get to this point where i'm even where I'm sitting down on the other flat and I'm listening for acorns, I'm like, okay, I have to be on that flat. I have to be at that tree because 12 yards away, there's a white oak tree that's dropping acorns. Well, when I get in there, maybe I look around, I'm like, okay, you know, instead of this is a quartering two shot, maybe I'm, and it's like 12 yards, but maybe I find a tree that would be more suitable for a straight broadside shot if I can do that. You know, I have the wind to pull that off. And I, I really didn't look, you know, I don't, I found this tree. I was like, this is a tree that I can kill out of tonight. I'm going to sit here, but maybe I could fine tune that a little bit more. And maybe that's something that won't affect me in the future. You know, if I, if I would have had the opportunity to have a broadside shot and I took a quartering two shot because of my setup, you know, like that, I guess that's where I would be at more than anything else. Um, uh, yeah, that's probably it. 
I like it, man. I mean, there's always something to be learned somewhere, right? Some some little detail to nitpick. I mean, even when you do it all right, sometimes there's room to still, you know, like improve the next setup. And it, it might even come down to whatever it was you got frustrated with your climb, right? You mentioned you seem to always get frustrated with some part of your climb. Maybe that's maybe that's the big improvement, oh, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, that'd be another good one. Right on, brother. Well, dude, I appreciate you taking time out your day. Did we did we leave any stone uncovered? Did, did I manage to talk your ear off? Oh, no, it was great, man. Uh, just, you know, right now is really ramping up, especially for guys in the north and the Midwest and the West. I think the Southerners are still a little bit behind as far as, like, pre-rut goes. You know, we're going, we're, we're into pre-rut this week up here, into scrape week. So, uh, you, you know, the time's now. Get in the woods, go have fun, do it for the right reasons hunt scrapes (laughs) but uh yeah just just make the best of it you know at this point it's 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 about having fun and going out and learning a little bit and putting a little food on the table too so enjoy it hunt hard and uh stay safe okay dude before i let you go tell everybody where they can find your film yep so the film is on uh the legends of the hunt youtube it is called dad's buck um you know, leave me a little bit of feedback if you guys watch it. I'm always looking for that feedback and what you think. And then you can watch the play-by-play story. It's actually one of my uh, Instagram highlights now. It's 2021 buck, and it'll run you through like the whole day. And I feel like there's maybe more learning there than there is in the actual film. So either one's great. Follow me on on Instagram at Jake Bush Solo, and uh, you guys can add me on Facebook at Jake Bush too if you'd like. Right on, brother. Hang on one second. I'm gonna close this out, but I want to chat with you afterwards, guys. I cannot convey how much I enjoyed his films, all of his films, and I think you will too. In fact, I know you will, so go check him out. Show him some love. Hit subscribe on his channel, and until next time, get outside and go enjoy the great outdoors.